So it's not to say that you can't pursue any market, but when you look at your customer base, you'll start seeing these trends of which markets that actually fit. And then one of the things you have to avoid is this temptation that comes from scarcity to try to go after everybody. And you can, you just have to do it in order of priority. That's the secret sauce. All right, welcome to the Sales Prescription Podcast with Ron Halbert and Rusty Jensen. You know, there's all kinds of problems that can prevent you from being successful personally and professionally. And we are here to write you some highly effective and broad spectrum sales prescriptions. And all you have to do is fill them. So Ron, today we're going to be talking about prioritization. And in the last couple of episodes, we talked about some different things. But in our organization episode, we talked about the numbers game fallacy, Mm -hmm. which is this idea that people can just put more effort, more activity, more leads. There's this tendency where people just want more. If I get more leads and I get more activity, I'm going to have more success, which is not always the case. It's not the case because the equation is more complex. You know, it's activity, but it's also prioritization. It's what you're going after. It's this idea that you want to work smarter, but not harder. Now, at the sales prescription, we don't buy into that one either, right? Yeah. It's it's work smarter and work harder. Yep. It's not four-hour work weeks and all this kind of stuff, not really our style. There's no shortcuts. But today, we're going to talk about prioritization. And a lot of organizations will make mistakes where they get into this numbers game fallacy. And they just feel that if we just throw in a list, you know, just throw in as much as you can, we're going to have more success. And sometimes they overload the system. And it kind of reminds me of this idea of, you know, when you're like a 10 year old kid, you know, I had this mentor who would say, you know, you sometimes you throw a stick in the spokes and shut down the engine. And what he means by that is like, you're 10, you got a bike, you know, you kind of ride around the bike and you you know, you put those little baseball cards in the back. I don't know if you did that, but it, so it sounds like you're like riding a motorcycle down the street. And of course some bully comes out, you know, and throws a stick in the spokes of the bike. And then that makes you flip over the handlebars, you know, and, and definitely that was not me. I did not do that, but. It may or may not have yeah. uh, happened to me a couple of times. <laughs> well, uh, what, what people don't realize is this happens all the time when you're prospecting and you can have a group of people that are working their tails off to be successful. They're mm-hmm. making dials, they're sending emails, they're taking time to educate themselves and, and become knowledgeable around the product. But what if they're just running in the wrong direction? What if they're calling people that don't matter, that can't buy what you're selling. Yeah. Really that amount of work ethic targeting the wrong people is throwing sticks in the spokes of their tires. And it actually really hurts the morale of the reps because reps want to believe. And if you are a rep, you'll agree with this, right? We want to believe because I am one that if I work really hard, I'm going to be successful. Right. And the truth is, you can work really hard and not find success if you're working in the wrong direction. Right. Right. Which, which is demoralizing a hundred percent. It's like, it's got to get, it's like flying over the handlebars. A hundred percent. Got what it is. So we, so I actually have a story about this. So a while back, a previous marketing leader that I'd worked with, not my current one that I'm working with today had made a decision to buy this list. Rusty, you actually know this story. We had talked a little bit about it. And the list that they purchased was terrible, to say the least. It was running 100 miles an hour in the wrong direction. At the time, I had around like 40, 45 sales developers. And we decided that, I say we, but these leaders decided that this list was going to become a top priority list. 
So we brought it to the top of everything that we were working and we began to first dedupe it and put it into pipeline, which took a long period of time. Then we decided now we're going to start calling it, emailing it and working it. And it actually took priority over what before that list was existed would have been the priority. So you shut everything down, shut everything down and target this list. Now, what blew everybody away is that immediately results started to plummet. And once results started to plummet, leaders took action and said, oh, that was a mistake. Let's take everybody off the list. But it's not really that easy to do because you've uh, the mistake has already been made. It's already in current pipeline. It's in your cadences or your sequences. You're calling it, you're emailing it. And to just immediately turn it off and go in a different direction, it's not that easy. It's like turning a cruise ship. You don't turn a cruise ship on a dime. Yeah, you got got to shut everything down. Everything's got to wind down. The momentum's got to stop, turn. Yep. And we eventually were able to turn the cruise ship around and head again in the right direction, but the damage was done. Mm -hmm. That quarter pipeline went down. Obviously, future quarters, that affects overall closed one, right? Because pipeline will result in closed one. And it was a serious problem. So me having gone through that, it, it, I've personally made it one of my biggest goals in life to not make that same mistake again. And I think everyone that I worked with at the time realized how big of a mistake it was Yeah, going through that. It just shut down the whole system. I remember it was like a, it was like a four alarm fire, right? Yep. Everybody jump into the data, see what's going on, what's happening. And really, we, you know, we were going over the handlebars is what yep. was happening. And I think that's a great story. In fact, by the way, if anybody wants one of these lists, they are available. Just check your spam filter. It might, you know, it might have come from Nigeria, but there's people hawking these lists all the time. So if you'd like one, you can go get one. And then if you want a good list, you can contact us. We actually know some good providers of good lists that we can hook you up with so that you're not just buying the spam filter stuff. Well, the, the best way I want everybody to think about this is, is when it comes to prioritization, you're a sales machine, right? We always talk about the marketing engine, the sales development engine, these go-to-market pipeline engines. And you is, is kind of a sales machine. And what you want to think about it as is kind of like a fuel air mixture and an engine. So kind of use that as an analogy of this engine. And in the engine, you have two things going on. So you have first fuel coming into the cylinder inside of an engine and you have air coming into the cylinder. And when you get the right mixture and it gets compressed and you fire that, so you put the spark in there, which in sales, you provide the spark. Yep. <laughs> but you put the spark in there, it fires really efficiently and it runs that engine. Now, what a lot of people may not know, when you tune an engine wrong, if you put too much fuel, it won't burn at all and it burns inefficiently. Or if you put too much air, it doesn't shoot, it doesn't put enough power into the engine to get it to move. You have to have the right mixture. And in sales and prospecting, it's the same thing. You have the right amount of fuel, the right amount of air, and it's fired right, it's going to run really well. Now, if you're firing wrong and it's all, you know, discombobulated, you know, see those old cars run up the street, just, <laughs> you don't want your engine to run that way. Yep. You want to run nice and smooth. And so in order to do that, you've got to prioritize right. So you can apply the effort. You know, if you're listening to this podcast, you're the kind of person that's going to apply that effort. But the other side is we got to make sure that right priority is going on. So Ron, what are the three considerations when somebody's going to prospect from B2B standpoint? into accounts, what are the three considerations they got to look at? And then maybe we can come back and talk about each of these. Yeah. So what makes up the fuel component, right? And the fuel component is made up of three specific things. First of all, market profile. 
So we need to be able to identify which market we should be targeting. That's extremely important. Second is the account profile. So once you've identified a market, now you then have to prioritize the accounts that exist within that market. And then lastly, we have the contact profile. So I've identified which market I'm going to go after, which accounts exist within that market that I'm going to target first, second, third, and then which contacts are a part of those moving forward. And Rusty, I would say that you're probably one of the best I've seen at building a really solid market profile. I've seen you do it for organizations. I've seen you do it for lots of different things in life. What would you say the most important aspects to building that market profile are? So I would say that the the first thing in terms of a market profile is you really have to be able to be honest about what your product provides and how well it executes in any particular category. And the easiest way to figure that out, number one, is to look at your customer base. So if you look at all of your customers, where you're finding success, you'll start seeing specific patterns. You know, so one thing is a data point, two's a trend, three's a pattern. And when you see a pattern of success, remember that success builds on success. So if you can see in this specific market, hey, we're actually winning really well in healthcare. It's, people tend to migrate to our solution. And then you start looking at the competitive aspects of it and as to why. Well, we have a competitive advantage in data protection. We have a great advantage in terms of the technologies we integrate to in that sector. So it's not to say that you can't pursue any market, but when you look at your customer base, you'll start seeing these trends of of which markets that actually fit. And then one of the things you have to avoid is this, this temptation that comes from scarcity to try to go after everybody. And you can, you just have to do it in order of priority. That's the secret sauce. Yep. So think of it this way. If I sell ketchup popsicles, which, you know, all salespeople should, <laughs> any good salesperson, you know, popsicles, you could sell them to do all kinds of different businesses. I'll bet you lawn care companies would buy popsicles. You know, you got guys running around, they're wearing those big sombrero hats. They're, they're trying to protect from the sun. It's hot. You know, they'll probably buy some popsicles. I'll bet. But then you go down to the retail store, the convenience store down the street, and they've got a freezer. They've got a better setup. You know, you can display the popsicles right there in the front. That actually might be a better customer to move more product. Where both might buy it, you can see how one's not really a fit. And then actually probably probably ketchup popsicles is pretty niche. It's probably just <laughs> joke stores or something. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? But, but you know, popsicles, but that, does that help? So when you look at your product and you look at your company, where do you have distinct advantages? Where do you have patterns of success? Where can you draw from a customer base where you're already winning and focus in those areas in terms of how you prioritize? Because you'll have more success. Yeah. And worst case scenario, right? You're, you're a new rep that working for a company and they just handed you a laptop, gave you some information about what you're selling and said, hey, here's access to the CRM. Go, go sell this product, right? If that happened to you, the first thing you're going to need to do is find which market you're going to target. Mm-hmm. And if you're selling popsicles, let's go after some retail stores. Let's not go after the local lawn companies, although they might buy some. Now, once you've decided the market you want to target, Rusty, the next step is to profile the accounts that exist within that market because you can't target every single account in a market at once. Mm-hmm. And if you can, your business is in trouble, 
right? Right. <laughs> Most of the time, your market should be big enough that it would warrant a need for account prioritization within the market. Because then you're just the joke store with the ketchup popsicles, right? Exactly. Is, that's right. pretty pretty narrow market. It is. Right? It is. Now, that account profiling is wildly important because I've identified my market and now which account am I going to call first? There's a couple things that tie into targeting those accounts. The first is fit. Uh-huh. So fit means I'm looking for similarities within my customer base, my happy customers. Let's not look at the angry ones if hopefully they don't exist, right? But my happy customers, what do they have in common? What are their similarities with each other? And you're going to look at specific firmographics, specific technographics that exist within that customer base. So if you do really well, if you're selling a financial tool and you do really well selling to banks, then narrow it down to banks. And then from there, if you sell really well to banks that have an, a specific revenue amount or specific uh, employee size, you can target it down even further. And if you're selling to a bank that only provides, like you can only integrate with a specific CRM, then you need to get some technographics. You need to know what are they currently using so that my tool can fit in with their tool. And that would be if you were selling software as an example, right? But those firmographics, technographics, that fit is extremely important to look at. Now, the second thing that ties into the account profile is intent. Uh And Rusty and I have spent a lot of time looking at different intent tools over the last several years. And it's because of how important intent is. Rusty, what what do you look for when looking for tools that provide intent and kind of maybe take us down the path of what is intent in deeper meaning? Oh, yeah. And then this is something I get excited about. You know, I've got you know, passion for, for strange things. Most people have hobbies. I, uh, I, I sell. So <laughs> intent is really, really powerful. And what it is, is it's basically just saying what prospects that I'm going after are actually in market for the products that I have. Now that's cool and everything. Cause that's what we're looking for as salespeople. But how do you actually identify that? Well, there are some vendors and there's some technology out there that you need, you need to figure out what is going on in terms of intention. An intention is when somebody is showing the propensity to buy, they're actually researching or looking at something. Because remember, a sales cycle doesn't start when a salesperson gets engaged. Usually when a salesperson gets engaged, the prospect has actually been doing a ton of research ahead of time. So how do we get insight into that research? That's what intent shows us. And there's two types, third-party intent and first-party intent. So let's just start with this as an example, because I want you to understand how it works generally so you get it. So when you go on Google, and you're looking for technology, or you're looking for some kind of a service, what happens is you can actually see the intent collection at that point. So let's just take nice systems. So where where I am now, and somebody Googles contact center technology, I want systems that run call centers, they Google that or something similar. What you'll find if you Google, you'll see a result of two different things. You'll see two completely different lists. You'll see one grouping of organizations that are like review sites or people that stack rank organizations, or you'll see analyst sites. So these are third parties. Then you'll see first party vendors. Like you'll see companies like nice CX one when you Google that, where they actually provide the technology and the service. So you see these vendors that rank or are analysts, and then you see the regular vendors that sell the technology. Well, the analysts, when you go on their website, they'll show you all kinds of cool things. Here's our top 10. Here's our little analyst matrices. Do you want to talk to this company? Do you want to 
get information about the technology, but every click you make, they track you. Mm -hmm. They know everything you're looking at. And when you're looking at that information, they will aggregate the data. So these organizations are called data aggregators. They'll aggregate that data and they share that third-party intent information to vendors who sell intent. Mm -hmm. And you want to buy it. Yep. Because it doesn't necessarily get to you. So you can actually see organizations that are in market when they haven't even engaged with you. Now, when they do engage with you, we call that first-party intent, which means they've come to your website, consumed your content, looked at your information, and then a good website has the ability to track that or collect forms or collect information. Now, that first-party intent is something you absolutely want to act on, but you need to be able to see both. So when it comes to prioritization with intent, there's a certain number of actions that kind of increase the score of that intent. So if somebody is more active, you want to pursue them first, wouldn't you think? Oh, 100%. And one thing I love about intent is it makes you come across as like a a magician of sorts. Oftentimes I've had reps call based upon intent data that we've purchased from a company and that company would be like, oh, I just so happen to have been researching these things. What do you know? What are the chances? You know, this is it's fate. It's fate. That's right. That's exactly what it is. And they're surprised that you called them at a similar time to when they're looking for this type of tool. Well, it's not magic. It's just a tool. That's right. Harry Potter doesn't work here. Yeah, right. That's right. We just buy really good tools. And like putting spokes in the tire by buying a bad list, You can also put a stick in the spoke if you go with a bad vendor, if you go with someone that's not good at doing intent. That's right. And so it's extremely important that you choose a solid vendor that does a really good job at at aggregating this data and giving it to your reps. And it's important that you build really good models around it as well when it comes to that. And if you need help with choosing something like that, then feel free to reach out to us. We'll be happy to make some introductions. We know some fantastic companies out there that deal with intent. We can help you. Now, I've now identified my market. I then looked at the fit and intent to identify which accounts within that market I'm going to go after first. The last thing is the contact profile. Mm -hmm. So who specifically I should go after? Yep. Which we call personas. Personas, right? So Rusty, tell me from your perspective, how do you decide which persona to target within an account? You know, it's really interesting. It's very similar to how you did identify the industry and also the firmographs of the, of the account. Now we're kind of seeing this pattern, which is when you identify your customers, who are the people who have bought your technology? Who are the people that are actually researching your technology? If you look at any open accounts or any open opportunities, look at the people who are actually doing the research, who we're interacting with, and they become kind of your target persona. Now, one of the things you don't want to make a mistake on is to just call a persona a specific title. This is a contact center manager. This is an IT manager. This It's not that specific. What you really want to look at from a persona standpoint is two different categories. First is the division. So inside the company, which department or division are they working in? Are they in marketing, finance, sales? Are they in procurement? Are they in IT? What division are they in? And then the second is the level. Because every organization has different titles, okay? So there's VPs who are VPs of themselves, okay? Mm -hmm. There are VPs who are frontline managers. There are directors who are individual contributors. You know, it it ranges. Sometimes people do that just to 
increase pay scales for certain people. Who knows? So really what you're not looking for is just titles. You'll be careful with that. What you're looking for is levels. So there's five levels. So if I say I have marketing, I'm looking for five levels. If I'm IT, I'm looking for five levels. And what they are is individual contributor, frontline manager, mid-level manager, who's a leader of leaders, senior leadership, and C-level leadership. And these five levels are critical in terms of what you're pursuing. Now, some people have this idea that you sell to veto. Very important top officer. There's value in that. If you can get a recommendation that goes down, that's great. But remember that depending on what you sell, the C-level officer may not know anything about what you're talking about or care as a starting point. So most of the time where you actually want to start, if you can't get a C-level officer to engage, you actually want to start with people who are part of the evaluation committee. Who are the people that are actively engaging, researching, and, and interoperating with your solution? That's what you're really looking for. So the persona is, again, the department and the level. And when you look into your account, you may see different things. If you see a lot of C-level people, we'll go ahead and sell to Vito. Yep. Good news, okay? <laughs> if you see a lot of, of mid-level leadership or senior level, or usually it's not an individual contributor, but it can happen depending on what you sell, mm -hmm. go after those personas. Those are the ones you prioritize. Now, again, does that mean you go after no one? No, this is all priority. Who is the number one target? Who's the number two? Who's the number three? So when I say this is my number one industry with my number one account with this number one target, that's what you focus on. You can triangulate who you're targeting and go after that. Yeah. So what we're looking for here is referred to today as ICP or ideal customer profiles, right? And hopefully the company you work for has helped you to find out which of those profiles, you know, your ideal customer profile, who you should be targeting, right? And chances are they gave you a piece of paper with a list of titles on there. But beyond the title, look for some of this other stuff that we've talked about today because it makes a massive difference. You do not want to be working super hard running the wrong direction. No. Right? You're not going to finish the race running in the wrong direction. No. And so you want to make sure that you're directed in the right way. And using some of these things that we've talked about today will help you get there will help you get to where you need to be. What you're looking for is you're looking for incremental changes. And those changes, Rusty, they happen in conversion rates, right? So conversion rates change over time. And when you're targeting the right account, the right market, and the right contact, you will see that those conversion rates will go from 3% to 4% or 5% or 6%, right? And I used to do door-to-door -door sales, knocking on doors. Mm -hmm. And while I was knocking on doors, I would keep a tally of how many doors I knocked with a line. And if someone answered the door, I would circle the line. And if I sold the product, I would put a star around the circle, right? Okay. And my goal is that every single day, I would increase the number of stars around circles percentage-wise. Because that meant I was getting better, right? Mm -hmm. I can't control whether or not someone's home when I knock on the door. Now, I can in some ways because if I'm knocking at, you know, 2 o'clock in the morning, chances of someone answering that's not holding a gun is unlikely, right? <laughs> right. But uh, exactly. it's not a good time to sell. So you, you can choose good times. 
but I want to increase that conversion rate each time. You know, if I would have narrowed my market down to, hey, this works really well in certain income level communities, then that would have helped me narrow it down even further. But ultimately, you want to get more stars around the circles and increase that conversion rate of developing more opportunities and ultimately selling more deals. And the only way to do it is to make sure that you're targeting the right people. And this is a great example of why you need data and why, from a sales perspective, you make decisions based on good data. That's how we make decisions. You don't make decisions based on just gut feel or, or willy-nilly. You have Now, again, if, if you're starting, you can try and say, okay, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try that. But you have to have A-B testing. You have to know, okay, when I'm going after this group, I thought it was a great priority, but this is converting better than that. So you're always tweaking and adjusting because it's like tuning the engine. It doesn't mm-hmm. stay tuned forever. And things change. The market changes. Everything changes. But, but when you're doing your own little market research, you're, you're putting your lines, your circles, your stars as Ron talked about, when you do that, you can identify patterns of success. And let me tell you, when people do this well, they kill it. You know, I can tell you the story about Sarah Condon. She's a fantastic sales developer over at Nice. She does really well. She's aggressive. She's, she gets involved. She's, she's pushing it. Well, she was working with one of our sales divisions and they decided to put together a vertical. So they said, look, we're having a little bit of success here with credit unions. We're having great success, actually. Um, we're seeing that we're getting into these accounts. We're engaging. We're a great market fit. The technology is working. You know, what do we need to do? And Sarah's like, I'll, I'll take that. Absolutely. She just, I'll, I'll do it. She's like, I will absolutely do it. Because what she saw in the data was a pattern of success. And then when she started applying it, she had to make all kinds of adjustments. So as she started calling in and prospecting in, the messaging wasn't always quite right. The personas, we had to figure that out. She had to kind of fine tune adjust it, but she largely did it herself just like any salesperson can. But by targeting those right credit unions, right accounts, right people, she figured out the industry. She figured out the accounts that made sense in terms of a size range. And she figured out the people to target. And as she did it, she's doing three and a half times the production of her peers. Three and a half times. You know, when you do that as a sales developer, forget about getting promoted to AE, you're making too much. <laughs> you're making too much. But that's that's the kind of success that you can have. Now, to step it up a level, you know, we, we talk about sales developers or prospectors or salespeople doing it themselves, which is great. But as organizations, you've got to do this. You've got to become pros. It's just too That's unlikely boring. that you're going to have a hundred Sarah Condas right. sitting around, right? I know Sarah as well. She's fantastic. Mm-hmm. You just don't have a hundred of her. Yeah, you don't. Right. And if you don't set your people up for success, you're doing the opposite. Yes. You know, you're setting them up for failure. You are. And so all this profiling that that happens, there's tools out there that can do it, but it should happen at a leadership level. That's right. A rep should be able to walk into work and know exactly what market, what account, what contacts they should be targeting because that should have been built out for them. Right. And we were paying the picture for worst case scenario. Someone walking into with nothing but a laptop and a access to the CRM. Right. Yep. If that's what you're doing to your salespeople, the likelihood of you growing significantly, it's highly dependent upon the people you hire and getting lucky. Well, and and the thing is, is the sales prescriptions we're writing here, they're for you and they're for organizations. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter. We, We want you to have the kind of skills where you can be thrown into any pond and you can swim. Yep. So it doesn't matter what pond they throw you into, you can swim. 
But what we also want to do is help clean up the pond. <laughs> so, so when we work with organizations, we talk to them, we build these kinds of models. It's very important that as a group, as an organization, that you can score your accounts in an account-based marketing structure, and you can score your leads in a demand marketing structure. And in future podcasts, we'll talk about both of those models, an account-based model and also a marketing and demand-driven model. But in both of those models, as an organization, you've got to get your stuff together. You got to get your crap together and you've got to be able to deliver an excellent, consistent score and a prioritization for your sales development teams. So managers that are listening to this, you need to figure out priority. Reps that are listening to this, you got to figure out priority. Division leaders, marketing organizations, you've got to figure out priority. And you've got to make it consistent and you've got to focus on driving those kinds of results and making sure it's driven by data. Yep. And one of the things that people do is they do this by scoring models that exist out there. And I've seen it happen before where you feel like you have to change the score every Thursday. Right. You do need to give it a chance, right? So make sure that you're looking at the stars around the circles and you're looking at those percentages day over day, week over week, month over month, quarter over quarter, year over year. Because you want to make sure that those percentages are increasing. The number of leads that come in, resulting in opportunities, resulting in closed deals, that should be higher percentage-wise today than it was yesterday. And it's higher because I've gotten better at the prioritization and hopefully your training's good around sales as well because you're going to need both. It's not all about prioritization. If you're not trained well, if you don't know what you're doing and you don't know how to have a conversation then it doesn't matter how clean the list is. It's why you have to work hard and smart. Yeah. That's the, the same time. The art and the science. Mm-hmm. You have to have both, which is fantastic. So, well, Ron, thanks for taking the time. I thought it was a good discussion today and we will get more into some more of these things. You know, we want to help arm you with everything you need to know. We'll be talking about these different marketing structures. We'll talk about scoring models in more detail. So we'll get into this with you in the Sales Prescription Podcast. We appreciate you listening. Go ahead and take a look for the next episodes that we have. You'll find us on Spotify. You'll find us on Apple. You'll find us on YouTube. you find us everywhere. So we appreciate you being with us. And thank you. We'll talk soon. Have a great day.